0: Welcome to CTO Confessions with TC Gill, brought to you by IT Labs.
1: Hello, ladies and gentlemen, this episode of CTO Confessions is brought to you by the one and only IT Labs, providing technology leaders with purpose-driven development teams for high-performance innovation and productivity. What more could you want? Please think of us like tech leaders' favourite off-the-shelf service, providing high-quality, high-performing teams off that shelf. And your host today is me, TC Gill, IT Lab's Chief Talking Officer, and I'm speaking from London, UK. In this episode, we're going to talk to a wonderful leader leading in a wonderful industry, to be more precise, in the industry of palliative care for cancer patients where our guest and the company she works for, called Project Ronin, create technical solutions for improving the lives of people immensely. Denali Luma, our guest, joins us to share her and her team's success in instilling Agile into an organisation and creating outcomes that really make a difference. So let's not delay, let's get Denali into the spotlight so she can sing her wisdom and enlighten us with her passions and experience. Welcome, Denali. Welcome to CTO Confessions podcast.
0: Thank you. Very, very happy to be here.
1: That's great. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are you and what do you do?
0: Well, I am currently a VP of engineering at a company called Project Ronin. Um, we work on uh, cancer care for the N of 1. We're focused on uh, data-driven uh, decision support for oncologists and care teams uh, working with cancer patients. Um, before that, I have worked in the industry for about 20 years um, in consumer and enterprise uh, software uh, engineering uh, in different ways. Excellent. So what was your journey
1: to becoming a VP of engineering? Um, and, and also I have to point out, you know, uh, we don't tend to meet, unfortunately, very many uh, female um tech leaders, you know, which I think is a real stud state of affairs. I mean, what kind of drew you there? It must have been quite a lonely journey as the kind of only female in the space.
0: Well, it's, it's certainly been a, a wild ride with a lot of ups and a lot of downs. Um, I think that uh, to your point, you know, things have changed a lot. Um, I remember when I was first getting started um, in high school, I actually taught myself how to write HTML and, was lucky enough to land a job in the late 90s doing that for a startup and decided to actually um, just work after high school rather than go to college immediately, much to my parents' uh, <laughs> horror. Um, and at the time, uh, it, was, it was an incredible opportunity. Um, uh, but at the time, you know, I was literally the only female um, or maybe one of two in the entire company and that was kind of the case for some years, um, which never really bothered me. I was always very comfortable in, in all of these different settings. But things have changed a lot. Um, a lot more women over the years have joined. Uh, and that's been great to see. And we continue to see that trend um, uh, going up and, and improving over time.
1: Yeah, I, mean, I can imagine it was quite kind of challenging journey i don't know if um, i've mentioned this a few times on the podcast but in our company it labs we have 90 percent of the women uh, in our in our company are actually female so you know it to me it makes no difference but you know other companies it's quite quite unusual
0: well it's very yeah. it's, it's also kind of uh, very exciting at ronin currently the majority of staff on our executive team uh happen to be women which is unusual but but awesome yeah um but yeah i mean i think you know, in terms of my experience over the years, I do think that um, there have been a lot of people who have really gone out of their way to help me, to support me, to encourage me, Um, and that has been um, amazing to have that support, and in some ways even more so than, you know, kind of my male counterparts in in some situations. Um, That, of course, balanced with the reality that you know, all of us are kind of conditioned through just social norms and expectations to have certain expectations of men and women, and and all of us have them, um, and that those expectations and those sort of unconscious, you know, biases do show up and do have an impact um, in life. And, uh, you know, there are things that we should be doing to, to try and make things as consistent and fair and, uh, Example-driven and uh, fact-driven as possible.
1: Brilliant! That's good news. So uh, it's great to hear another company kind of making a headway in that space. I, I have a 13-year-old daughter, and I'm always persuading her to become an engineer. Um, but at the moment, she just wants to be famous. <laughs> 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 too, yeah. too much, too much of those fame programs, I think. So, um, so in terms of the company that you work for, Project Roni, really interesting name. A really interesting name. What, what, what do they do? What's their kind of aim? mission
0: yeah so um you know right now uh there there is something called standard of care which is you know what sort of the care providers for cancer the oncologists use um generally speaking to treat their patients and it is um sort of one treatment or one you know one path um, per cancer type um that is generally applied to you know Um, to each patient. And what we are asserting um, is that data uh, can be used as it has been in many other human endeavors to help um, customize treatment, to help improve outcomes, not just in terms of survivorship, but also quality of care um, for individuals. And we can use data to help Um, drive decisions, uh, help make, you know, uh, decision support more customized and better for the individual based on, you know, who they are, based on which cohort, you know, they're part of and reactions to certain treatments, et cetera. And so it's really about trying to kind of revolutionize cancer care to be data-driven and to improve outcomes for individuals.
1: Wow, I mean that's pretty cool. Um, it's um, it's almost a very like a very agile uh, sense and adapt, but on an individual um, patient level.
0: It is. It is. It's it's really trying to create sort of a feedback loop um, so that we're able to, you know, uh, build products and services that people can use now that will help incentivize essentially data collection, and then get that data get more and more of that data and use that data to power, you know, certain models um, certain insights that Mm. we can then feed back into the product to improve uh, you know, day-to-day activities, day-to-day care. And so it really is about trying to kind of create that feedback loop that exists in sort of all products where, you know, the product itself is helpful and also as a side effect generating data and that data then feeds back into improving the product, et cetera. That's and this is something that we think, you know, is potentially going to be able to counter the unfortunate situation in healthcare right now, at least in the United States, which is referred to as uh, uh, fee for service, which is distinct from uh, value-based care.
1: Yeah. And
0: unfortunately with fee for service, the kind of the incentive and the outcome is is not necessarily aligned with collecting consistent or high quality data or, um, sort of consistently driving and improving quality of outcomes
1: yeah it seems strange how uh, an industry got into that kind of pickle to be honest you know it's um yeah it's gone down a rabbit hole which is uh, not helpful
0: it is and you know i think what what's very clear to me is that the people who work in healthcare have the best of intentions are, are in it for the right reasons really want to do this the right thing and um And the problem is more about sort of the overall incentive structure and the fact that the market forces are not really in effect, unfortunately. So, you know, as a patient, I'm not actually paying for my service, my health insurance is. And because of that, um, you know, the normal market forces that would be driving sort of improvement in outcomes, improvement in value and lowering of costs are not actually uh, Kind of active, um, we are moving. We are slowly trying to shift the industry from what it currently is, which is essentially, um, you know, fee for service, which incentivizes, as you would imagine, just you know, kind of increasing the number of services and the throughput, the velocity of, you know, how quickly those services can be kind of applied. Slowly moving that over to again this idea of value-based care where compensation is and sort of monetary you know payout is actually driven by the patient outcomes and you know how well that patient was cared for so we are seeing a slip a shift in that direction which we think will help
1: brilliant um, and that's, i that's oh yeah i'm a bit flabbergasted that this hasn't been the case but uh, i guess uh, unless you you work in the industry you don't see this um, it would be great to see uh, the quality of life of people actually being a, a measure of, uh, of, uh, the, uh, the outcome of, of the work you do. So I, I'm killer curious. I've got, I've got my curiosity hat on at the moment. Um, what's the kind of feedback loop time? Is it like a day to get the results back or is it a week or, um,
0: Oh, that's a great question. So, uh, you know, as you can imagine right now, kind of the average, you know, experience uh, for a a cancer patient is actually on the order of months. So you could imagine, you know, sort of going in, seeing your doctor, your oncologist, um, you know, having a conversation with them, telling them how you're doing, you know, them telling you kind of what to expect or what's next, and then Literally, months go by. You know, two or three months go by before you have another conversation with them, and um, they may have some of the notes from the previous session written down. They may not. They may have some of those things captured in what's called an EHR, an electronic healthcare uh, record system that is really outdated and and not designed actually for this use case at all. It's, it's primarily just designed for billing and billing codes. Um, but you can imagine sort of going from that uh, what we what we consider to be what we call episodic care to what we have now and what we've built and launched which is essentially a, a mobile app that cancer patients have to track their symptoms several times a week that then gets sent to reactive care team and triaged on a weekly basis wow. that then you know all of that data then gets presented in a dashboard for what we call reactive care for you know care team care care uh, sort of treatment planning. Mm. And that cycle has gone from the order of months to the order of days where that, you know, patients are reporting their symptoms. That's getting triaged. Feedback is being sent back to the patient. And uh, the cycle time to connect the patient with the provider has rapidly increased. And all of the data that has been generated from those encounters, from, you know, that patient reaching out, Sharing symptoms uh, and the you know reactive care team responding and updating that patient has all been captured and can then be used to build uh, insights, you know, models, predictive things, uh, associate cohorts, uh, least squares regression, et cetera, that can then help uh, further drive insight. So that that shift has been phenomenal, both for the patients and the the care teams. Um, to speed that feedback
1: loop up brilliant i love this feedback loop i think it's a <laughs> i think it's a pretty amazing kind of revolution in the space so in terms of that data i can imagine there's kind of like seas and oceans of data kind of flowing back and um it, i mean are you using any kind of techniques to kind of find insights from that like ai or machine learning or uh, Basic. We do. So
0: we have uh, right now. We collect data from as many different sources as we can. Um, we collect data from the EHR systems, from the healthcare uh, systems that we partner with. Um, we also are focused right now on collecting uh, basically symptom reporting data from patients. So we have a set of questions, sort of designed to um, you know prompt prompt the patient on how they're doing in response to certain treatments and drugs and those responses we have uh recently used to build um our first kind of uh uh model driven dynamic uh, functionality that's been uh, fed into the application and what uh, the goal the goal of that was primarily to reduce um sort of uh alert fatigue and increase kind of I guess, alerts that are important. So let me explain what I mean by that. Um, there are, so most patients will uh, underreport. So even though, for example, you know, the nurse or the care team says, you know, if you're experiencing this symptom or that symptom or this symptom, it's really important that you contact us so that we can potentially address the drug, you know, uh, that you're getting or the, um, the dosage or something like that. Um, most patients will actually underreport report and will experience potentially adverse events up to and including death because of that. There are a few patients who who are kind of will do the opposite. So the minority, they but they do exist, they'll over-report. So they'll be constantly contacting the care team and saying, you know, I have this problem, that problem. It's like, you know, this is expected, we told you not to contact us. Yeah. So the the uh, mechanism that we've built that is data driven that is based on um, on models uh, is really focused on solving that problem to kind of filter out the the alerts that are being over reported and to prompt the patient uh, and to escalate the um, reports that are actually really important and make sure that those get to the care team. So that's something that we've built recently that's that's proven to be um, actually quite effective.
1: Yeah, I imagine that's a, I can imagine that's a huge saving for uh, the kind of organisations uh, um, caring for these people. Um, uh, yeah, and it kind of takes the kind of messiness out of it, really, to be honest. It's, uh, I, I remember in telecoms, we used to have a masking of alarms, you know, where certain alarms don't really matter, but others do. Uh, and uh, it allows you to filter that
0: and that's how we've been kind of you know marketing this to our customers initially as sort of saving time and essentially saving money Mm. um, reducing alert fatigue but also ensuring better outcomes for patients Um, and that's been kind of the what i refer to as the you know let's try and find a way to make life easier for people kind of on the ground now Get them to use this product essentially, and in in using the product, generate data that we're now building upon, saving, inspecting, and can can further drive. Uh, you know, more improvements.
1: Brilliant. I love it. I just imagine if I had one of these things, I'd, I'd be one of those that would be over reporting. I don't know if you ever played the game, Daily Thompson, Thompson's Decathlon. Did you ever play that at all? No. It was no. a game where you had to kind of press the button as fast as you could, that'd be like that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you get loads of data from me. Um, so coming on to yourself then uh, and your uh, leadership. So what kind of leader would you call yourself? How do you, how do you lead in your tech space?
0: Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, I think I would I would sort of say that I have a natural instinct. I have sort of my own biases that all leaders do, right? That they you know each leader has a preference in terms of how, how they would you know behave sort of in a vacuum. Um, And then I think the really great leaders are those who are able to kind of over time, you know, essentially build out a toolbox of skills where, you know, they have their their preferred things and their preferred mode, but when needed, um, they can, you know, also behave in other ways and sort of be dynamic Mm -hmm. and react to the situation and kind of what the situation needs. Um, I think ultimately, for me, what I have learned over the years is that an effective leader really has only one job. And if they can do this, then they will be really really an excellent leader. And that is just to drive clarity in the organization. And there is a lot of different ways to do that. A lot of techniques, things that work, but ultimately, if you can drive clarity, if you can, you know, every time you're sort of interfacing with someone or interacting with a team or working on a project, if you can make things kind of more clear than they were before, mm. then you're basically doing your job. My um, kind of preference, you know, when I was a girl, I wanted to be a police officer. Cool. Uh, so I have a strong <laughs> affinity <laughs> with, with essentially this idea of law and order of, of organization. I like to, yeah, I, I really dislike chaos. I really like structure. Um, I think I was drawn to, um, software because it was a way for me to, to, you know, to to take something that was potentially very chaotic and make it extremely organized and and sort of analyze the system as a whole. I love looking at systems and trying to understand, is it, you know, as efficient as it could be or, or not. Um, and so my default mode as a leader is, of course, you know, to follow best practices. I have uh, tremendous, I've had tremendous success um, in sort of embracing and rolling out, you know, um, agile uh, concepts, test automation, infrastructure as code, immutable infrastructure, continuous integration and deployment, um, because these these are ways that you can actually simplify systems as well as make them as efficient as possible, which is really what you want. You want the system to be extremely, extremely simple and extremely efficient and fast. Yes. Um, So that's kind of been a lot of what my career has been based on is, is really kind of understanding these ideas and then figuring out how to translate those into and roll them out effectively into organizations that may not understand them well or may not agree with, you know, agree with these principles and practices um, but I do think that over time, what I've learned is that, you know, each company is different and each company needs to be treated like an individual with different strengths and weaknesses and, and potentially different, uh, techniques and approaches in terms of how to effectively work there.
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: And so, yeah, like for example, with clarity, you know, there are a lot of sort of common tools around, you know, first and foremost, how do you drive clarity? Well, uh, you know, one good thing is to be able to write a mission and a vision statement, you know, the why and the what. Another good thing is to uh, draft, you know, what's called OKRs, goals and and metrics. Um, Those are really helpful in driving clarity. Um, So these are, you know, different techniques that can be used effectively. But ultimately, all of them are, again, sort of in service of helping the organization to be aligned and to understand you know, which direction everyone should be moving
1: in. Brilliant. I love that. You're, you're speaking to, to everything that I love. Um, in fact, I've got a book down there on OKRs uh, that uh, I've been kind of reviewing. We, we do quite a lot of work with clients. And uh, one of the things that we find there is clarity of where we're going, you know, and it's surprising how confusing that can be. Um, so in terms of uh, that mission and vision, is it something that you repeat continuously? Is it, are, you, are you like um, kind of... Um, you know like a parrot repeating it again and again and again and
0: absolutely and yeah i mean i think it's it's pretty clear that you know any effective leader as you see with a, like a politician or any leader that, that you see you know um for example like i think cheryl sandberg did this i mean she just kept repeating over and over and over again the same it. and and it and it does get very in a sense kind of tiresome and you think like man you know are people getting annoyed with me because they're kind of (laughs) hearing the same thing but then you realize that you know again that the natural the natural kind of order of things is actually disorder Um, and the natural way that humans will kind of as they come together in groups behave is quite chaotic and there does actually require a lot of energy and effort to focus the organization and you know communicating that mission and vision sort of in a very consistent, repetitive way is actually quite important because you'll say it and it'll just go you know, straight over someone's head or they'll hear it, but they won't actually comprehend it and, or they'll comprehend it, but they won't actually kind of, um, you know, uh, kind of take it to heart. Um, so doing it over and over again is really important.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, we've kind of joked before where you, we need a parrot in the corner to kind of listen to this continuously and eventually it just gets it and just keeps repeating <laughs> it for you, you know. Um, <laughs> okay. There you go. There's an idea, audience. If you, if you uh, start using this, it's uh, copyrighted by me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You kind of mentioned your passion. Actually, I mean it was one of my questions actually, you know, what's your passion? And and from what I'm getting is it's to kind of create order out of disorder, you know? Um absolutely. Yeah. And and we're kind of joking earlier on it's like the kind of um uh, the Star Wars, you know, trying to bring order to the galaxy, you know?
0: <laughs> it does feel that way, it does.
1: Um so in terms of you know, you As a leader trying to kind of create that in your organization especially in the tech space where we all live in this kind of innovation storm it's just kind of mad you know things are always changing always things new coming up i mean how do you manage to kind of create a um an order along the timeline because there's always things coming in from the side to kind of throw you off how do you kind of maintain your your alignment and what you're trying to achieve
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's, it's definitely the case that any framework, any effective framework um, must be flexible, must be resilient, must allow for changes. You know, the business um, is very dynamic and um, decisions are made, you know, all the time, both internally and externally, that will uh, potentially, you know, change kind of the direction and the focus of the company and and the teams within it. And so, um, you know, the way that I've had success in kind of setting this up is basically, I guess, most recently at Ronan, um, we've had, we've actually had tremendous success is, um, you know, we, we start each quarter with a plan. So each quarter we say, you know, here's kind of, well, first of all, let's reiterate let, what's our mission. Okay. Let's talk about oh, yeah. that. Now let's reiterate what's our vision. <laughs> yeah. so, and then we say, okay, for this quarter, you know, here are the goals that we have here, are the top three goals. And then for each of the divisions and each of the teams within that, you know, essentially driving their driving their goals and outcomes to kind of support the top level ones, all of those are go through a user story mapping, sizing and estimation process. We prioritize, you know, and we essentially commit to a plan and we say, you know, here's the plan, here are the deliverables over the next quarter. Yeah. Um, and then we say, you know, throughout throughout the quarter if, and we have weekly check-ins where we're looking at, you know, obviously all of the metrics around quality, velocity, the product delivery, et cetera. Um, But of course that plan can change. So at any time, you know, for example, on a given week, it's like, well, you know what, something's come in, we need to address, we're going to go ahead and make a change. That's great. So we're pulling something out of the plan in order to make room for that new thing. That's completely fine. And we just kind of update our, you know, tracking systems to kind of denote that and move forward. And that's worked really well for us. And it's sort of like, you know, just being clear on who the decision maker is. Well, it's the product. Product will decide, you know, if something coming in is more important than what we planned. Uh, if they make that determination, that that's absolutely fine. Um, but I think it's important to have like a, a sort of clear decision maker on on that process and then just documenting it and updating our tracking.
1: Brilliant. I love it. It sounds very ordered. It sounds it sounds, <laughs> sounds smooth, you know. Um, and and in terms of kind of um, creating high performing teams, you know, you, uh, uh, we kind of spoke around this uh, just before the call. Um, how have you found um, the kind of jolt of COVID nineteen in terms of retaining those those um, high performance in, in the, within the teams?
0: Yeah, you know, um, we haven't had. Um Kind of a serious issue with retention over the past year. Thankfully, with high performers. Um, however, I do think that you know COVID nineteen and sort of the remote work has has deeply impacted everyone, and it's been uh, it's been extremely difficult. So retention is not the thing that's that really shows up. But I honestly do believe that you know and and sort of worry about staff in terms of what we've seen, which is. You know, kind of the division between work and life has blurred, and people are actually working a lot more, um, which is not really a great thing in in my mind. Um, you know, people feel isolated, they feel lonely, um, they're not as connected to their coworkers as they used to be. Um, there's a certain level of uh, information that's conveyed when you're yeah. meeting with someone in person that's lost. You know, even over Zoom, there's it's sort of information loss, right? Um, and it's a tax, um, we're, we're not as productive. We're not as innovative as we would be if we were in person. Um, but we're kind of like, you know, paying, paying that tax right now and trying to figure out, um, what can be done, uh, if we want to go back, you know, full-time in person, because there are of course benefits as well. You know, we've been able to expand our hiring and find people that we otherwise wouldn't have been able to hire by, um, you know, by kind of. Um, embracing a, a remote yeah. uh, kind of you know permanent remote option. So there are pros and cons, and we'll have to see kind of how it plays out. But I, I mean, I certainly don't miss the hour long commute every morning, right? <laughs> the the waste of time and gas and, and sitting in traffic. Um, so that's that's definitely a, a big pro. But I think there are some pretty significant cons that I don't really think we've fully we fully understand or have been able to quantify yet.
1: Yeah. I think um, uh, on previous podcasts, we've talked about the missing whiteboard, the ability to kind of jump on with a pen. I mean, I, um, as I keep mentioning, uh, I, I, I think everybody should have a whiteboard with them, you know, and, and a pen uh, so we can go jump around. Yeah. <laughs> Completely. Um, so, um yeah, and, and in terms of uh, you know leading leading your internal teams and what have you, um, do you have any kind of challenges around uh, you outsourcing and and using teams that are external to your organization or even partners?
0: You know, we haven't really done that this past year. I think the company did did try that out the year before with that, when unfortunately had some pretty mixed outcomes. Um, so we decided not to focus on sort of contractors, consultants. Um, and really just focus on hiring you know full-time staff and that approach has i think worked worked well for us um and uh we'll probably continue with that um you know for the foreseeable future
1: sure yeah um coming on to a, a thing that you mentioned i'm really intrigued by this the event horizon of technical events
0: yeah so i think we were chatting a little bit about um kind of Ronin and and what's happened this year and this past year and and how excited we are about it. So um, when I joined Ronin, let's see, in early 2020, um, the company was was definitely having some challenges from a technology perspective. Um, There were, uh, I think at the time, there was a major deliverable, uh, major kind of feature uh, or application launch that was, I think, at the time maybe like sixteen months late, um, and and the team had no idea when it would be done. Wow, wow. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, this was just one of, of several projects. Um, and the team, it, they weren't really even operating in waterfall. I mean, it was sort of like waterfall, but it was it was more just like chaos. Um, and what we did was we we. You know, first started with driving clarity around our mission vision, we created teams um, with very clear roles, expectations, etc. And we started rolling out sort of very basic agile. And we did it as kind of an experiment. We said, you know what, Um, you know, here's where we are. Let's try this, this other system, if we like it, great. If we don't, we can cancel it and do something else. But let's just try this as an experiment. Right. Um, and so we started to do it and, you know, we started to introduce this concept of sprint down, which is sort of like, you know, on Monday, the team commits to the work that they're going to complete that week. On Friday, the team, you know, looks at how much of the work they actually completed. And we started to roll this out and measure it. And what we saw was initially teams were completing five or 10% of plan, um, you know, after each sprint. Yeah and so we said okay so the team committed to 50 tickets you know five were done or 10 were done let's let's you know try again this next week and track and see how we're doing and let's just do sort of a binary search so it's like last week committed to 50 let's try 25 this week okay still missed let's try 12 okay and so we got to essentially a very clear benchmark or baseline of what we could consistently deliver yeah. at 80% or better of plan And that was a really powerful thing for the teams to kind of go through. It really built built a sense of confidence. It built a sense of kind of self-esteem and helped the team. Uh, And we started moving forward from there. We started tracking code coverage, which is something that wasn't, uh, hadn't been tracked before. This concept of unit testing was was new to many people. So we had, you know, very low to sort of non-existing code coverage. We introduced this a uh, sort of automatic gating mechanism that enforced um, you know, 80% or more code coverage on changed lines and saw a dramatic increase in code coverage. And then we expanded to additional metrics associated with high performance software teams around predictability and accountability, on-time feature delivery, and then moving into velocity and quality. So looking at cycle time, you know, how quickly Initially, I think the average cycle time for completing a JIRA ticket was about 40 days, believe it or not. And we saw that as we started tracking and, and rolling out Agile, we saw that drop to three days, to two days, to one day. Wow. We started to see this incredible uptick in velocity. We were tracking deployment rate at the beginning of 2020 and we were deploying about once every nine days. And now uh, we're at, I think, just under half a day. So two deployments per day. So an increase of over 500% in terms of deployment rate. Um, Looking at change failure percentage, which is essentially of the deployments that we did, how many of them resulted in a hot fix or a bug fix? And in Q1 we had, of last year, we had just under 70% of deployments required a hotfix or a bug fix. In Q2, we were, believe it or not, at about 180%. So multiple hotfixes and and bug fixes per deployment. In Q3, we dropped down to 35%. In Q4, we were hovering just at 36%. So incredible progress there, uh, deploying test automation, mobile test automation with um, Firebase Test Lab and other technologies. Um, and really starting to, obviously we still need to get better. We need to, you know, get to 10% or less, but seeing, seeing sort of the progress there has been excellent. Um, and, you know, all of these things ultimately feeding into sort of the business objectives around revenue and churn mm-hmm. and um, being able to, to drive this kind of improvement in performance within engineering um, has, has been an incredible turnaround. Um, and has really showed kind of the power of continuous integration and deployment, and the feedback mechanism, and, and you know that those concepts are real and that they can that they can work. Yeah. Um, so I think when we were discussing this before, you know, the, I've certainly worked at companies where they have they have basically reached what we what I refer to as kind of the event horizon, right? where there is actually a, there is a point in time where the technical debt or the technical complexity that exists within a system, sort of, there's a a sort of a point of no return, can no longer be fixed. And I think at Ronin, you know, we were able to kind of really turn the ship around, so to speak, uh, before reaching that point. And it's just been awesome to see.
1: Oh, wow. I I can see, uh, I can see the kind of pleasure of of achieving that, you know, uh, in your kind of, um demeanor you know and and in terms of uh i mean that must have been pretty kind of brilliant high five moments when you kind of saw this turning around you know
0: and it was it was so amazing and honestly i think you know it was largely because of the culture and sort of the support i i got from my boss the ceo um to really have kind of full autonomy and make make the right decisions for the business um and and the culture that was really created that allowed people to focus on the problem on the business problem and you know that's so different from unfortunately most companies at silicon valley in silicon valley that i've seen where you know so much of the of the time and energy and resources that you know are are spent are spent on you know essentially internal politics and reorging and power struggles and you know sort of appearances and it's such an incredible waste um and it really is uh you know just such a distraction and and sort of um a handicap for most companies yeah. and for me it was you know after kind of experiencing many many companies that were dysfunctional in this way deeply dysfunctional Um, being at a company like Ronan, where again, you know, it's like, wow, we can actually focus on solving the business problems, the technology problems. We don't have to worry about sort of, you know, again, sort of the the house of cards, politics, Yes. Um, the incredible uh, kind of achievements that can actually be made um, was really, really amazing.
1: Yeah. I I can imagine. It's like, um, I always take the analogy of uh, a a battery in a car and then putting a spanner across the kind of, uh, you know, the, uh, the terminals, you know, it's kind of discharges and just shorts all the energy that you have, you know, the, this internal spot. So in terms of kind of taking out that internal politics and removing that, was that coming from the CEO? Was it kind of a collective decision by the company?
0: I think it was largely, you know, if I had to kind of, if I had to attribute it to someone, I think it was largely the, the, um, the result of efforts from our CEO and our head of people, um, <clears throat> who really insisted on creating a culture of, you know, fairness, of, uh, consistency of, um, you know, diligence and, um, of really just wanting to, to focus on the work. And I think, um, you know, that's probably been the largest driver of, of, of why we were able to be essentially given permission <laughs> yes. to do the kind of technical work that needed to be done that would result in this incredible outcome that, that is now you know, accelerating the business in this sort of exponential way.
1: Brilliant! I love it. It's great to hear a, a wonderful story, and kudos to all of you for kind of achieving that. That's uh, that's brilliant because you'll hear a lot about kind of agile and all this kind of new ways of kind of developing code and what have you, and it doesn't work, and there's a lot of resistance. But you know, it does work. You just got to. It does improve. work. It does work. Yeah, and this is great to hear. So, so brilliant. Um, so that's wonderful to hear your uh, success story there, Denali. I'm gonna I'm gonna pretend now to be a genie for a second, okay? And I, I'm gonna grant your wish. What would be your wish for your leadership, for your company, for the work you do, or even your industry?
0: That is a great question. Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's so much that is that needs to be done um, that's so important. There is a tremendous amount of work that needs to be done associated with security, associated with privacy, with uh, decentralized systems, encryption, um, and really ensuring kind of, you know, that the rights that we kind of take for granted right now in terms of, uh, you know, freedom of speech, the, the, the free exchange of information and ideas, ensuring that those things kind of persist um, and ensuring that we have sort of, you know, the digital public square uh, still operational and uh, not, kind of completely overtaken by privatized, uh, special interests. That's a really important area for me. Um, in terms of what I would want right now, or what I'd kind of wish for the genie right now is probably <laughs> more related to, um, you know, this concept of, uh, of well-designed, well-engineered software systems and You know, a lot of what I've done in my career has been focused on addressing things like software quality, um, addressing things like software security, um, reliability, availability, um, maintainability, extensibility, all of these things that are kind of associated with lower level infrastructure, performance, uh, cost, etc. And what I've come to realize is that... um, each of these are actually the same. They're just different manifestations of the same kind of root. Mm-hmm. And, and really what that root is, is, is complexity. And so, you know, really what what software is about, writing software, designing software, shipping software, it's really about managing complexity. And what that actually means is, is simplifying things mm-hmm. and keeping things simple, simple. And so any technique used in software that is effective at, at you know, Delivering high-value software is ultimately going to be simplifying things, whether it's encapsulation or well-designed interfaces, or you know, unit testing or um, any of any of the things that we that we kind of employ. And when I talk to the teams uh, now and work with the teams, they often say, "Oh, Denali, you know, we have a deadline. You know, we just have to throw some stuff together. We need to kind of you know do some hack that we know." is going to introduce more complexity, is it introduce more, you know, chaos, is ultimately going to introduce more technical debt that's going to come back to kind of haunt us uh, down, down the road and ultimately weaken the business over time deeply. And my response to that is always, well, let's, you know, let's stop, let's pause for a second, let's think about the requirements, let's think about, you know, can we reduce the scope and what can we what can be done or what can we do that is actually the right, do it the right way. And this is also how kind of, I think, Mastercraft's people or builders, you know, who really know what they're doing work is they they encounter a problem and they stop and think about it and find the right way to move forward, whether it be kind of modifying the plan, reducing scope or looking at a new design, etc. And so I guess what I would tell the genie is, could you please just ask all of the software engineers in the world to... Instead of building things the wrong way with a hack, you know, under a deadline, in a way that ultimately will weaken our systems and our infrastructure, just pause and um, look at the options and 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 move forward with the option that is um, sound.
1: <laughs> like it. <laughs> that would be my wish. <laughs> That's it. I'll, well, um, I'll put, I'll I'll, add, I'll see what I can do later on, and uh, and then you'll see the results come out. You know, the outcomes yeah. of such. Yeah, so I think, um, I think it is important that we kind of step back and not inject. I can just imagine, actually, Denali, your face when somebody says, oh, just <laughs> going to throw a hack in there, you know? What, what's not your, what's, pretty. What did you just say, look?
0: <laughs> not pretty. Not a pretty face.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, and in terms of um, you as a tech leader again, um, what, what kind of keeps you up at night? What, what's the things that worry you uh, and that make your life harder?
0: yeah that's a great question um i mean i kind of i guess i see i see the business and the teams as again as a system where i'm constantly kind of evaluating how is the system running is it running smoothly is it running clearly you know what could be what could be accelerated where are the bottlenecks what's the biggest performance bottleneck right now that we can address to kind of unlock to see you know the highest gain and that's typically what I what I will just continue to do. So it's a kind of a a process of continuous analysis and improvement and focus. Um, you know, last year for me, my my big focus was really on getting kind of engineering in order and and operational and um, you know, getting the the staff essentially uh, delivering on the business objective. So you know, delivering um against sort of our commitments on time with high quality um as sort of a number one focus Um, and then as a very close second ensuring a thriving staff so ensuring that we're you know we're cultivating our people that we're hiring we're retaining that we're inspiring people that that people are happy excited to be at work and and effective Mm. Um, and then the third thing is just continuous improvement and sort of you know growth mindset and looking for ways that we can continue to improve that was a big focus for last year. Um, we really got sort of engineering really highly operational. and at that point looking at the system, we've actually kind of moved on to product. Mm. So product is a, a sort of another bottleneck that has been a big focus for us recently around you know getting so deep, really deep clarity, again, this idea of clarity in the organization and making sure that everyone understands and we're all on the same page you know what are the product goals how exactly will we measure those what are those metrics how are we trending um you know building out sort of a robust product process has been a big focus and then i think after that moving on to um even deeper alignment within kind of the executive team so for me the the journey has been you know first kind of focusing inward within my group Currently now, it's what I would call sort of focusing horizontally with my sort of core partners. And I think after that, it will be kind of focusing, you know, upward with the board and with my boss, with our investors on really making sure that we have that alignment and that clarity, you Mm -hmm. know, um, as a business moving forward. Brilliant. But it's just a process, a continuous process of of finding the the next bottleneck and, and sort of addressing it.
1: That's right. In uh, in the kind of coaching world, we kind of refer to the, the onion, peeling the onion. You know, as you peel the onion, you'll find another bit of layer, another bit of dirt, uh, another bit of things to kind of do. And it's continuous, you know, the endless onion. As we come to the end of our time together, Denali, um, you know, it's been great, some great gems. So I'm going to offer you the opportunity to give one more gem, your one takeaway for the tech leadership, men and women out there. What would be your kind of one thing that you'd offer them?
0: Well, I guess for me personally, you know what I would say is um, you know all of the success that I've had both at Ronan you know recently and sort of in my career that is sort of evident and that can be seen and is publicized. I can tell you there are you know hundreds if not thousands of of sort of private examples of failure of things that didn't work that didn't go as planned. Um, and that were you know quite quite difficult, challenging, painful, et cetera. And so I guess what I would say to everyone is that I don't believe my story is unique. I think that all successful leaders have essentially the same experience of a few incredible successes uh, combined with a much much larger number of failure, uh, failures and and sort of defeats. And so I guess what I would say to to everyone out there is uh, to never give up. And to keep going and to keep trying. And if it doesn't work, try a different thing. And if that doesn't work, try again. And um, and don't give up. If you if you if you as long as you don't give up, you will be successful. If I can do it, you can do it. Anyone can do it. It's just a matter of perseverance and uh, and knowing that that failure and defeat is part of the human experience, um, but that it is eventually worth it. Excellent. I guess.
1: That's great. I <laughs> I'm feel not inspired. sure if that's very
0: in- inspiring or not, but <laughs> <And> that's, <laughs> the that's <truth>. wonderful.
1: <laughs> so thank you for your time, Denali. It's been wonderful having you on, and thank you for your wisdom and uh, and your little kind of tips uh, around your leadership. Thank you.
0: Thank you. It's been it's been awesome chatting.
1: I love it. I love it when you hear a success story about Agile. I'm not sure if Marmite is something that people in the US eat, but Agile is like Marmite. It seems you either love it or you hate it. And just for those who aren't familiar with Marmite, it's a yeast extract. You have to try it to know what side of the love or hate taste paradigm you sit. And taking the analogy further, you have gotta stick with it to get its health benefits and give it time to acquire the new taste. You do come to love it. I know, I went through Marmite Jedi training myself and now I'm a master of the Marmite side of the force. The point here is agile has a taste and it needs to be acquired. It's very different And you just got to stick with it and do the right thing. Anyway, enough about British breakfast preferences. Denali shows her company, Project Ronin, herself and her team in a great light. Not only is the name of the company cool, what it does is cool. And I have to add, Denali's name is pretty cool too. It's great to see a really successful success story associated with Agile, which is as cool as it gets in my world. And as many of you Agilists out there know, the Agile way of doing things is about being Agile with Agile. It's not a cookie-cutter magic tool. At the core of it is the Agile values and principles. Focus on them rather than the practices of Scrum and the like. This way, you're more likely to get the ship going in the right direction and avoiding hitting the rocks, which many Agile projects do because they just missed the point. Anyway, there were so many big gems from the discussion with her here. I really like her leadership and clarity of direction. So before I make a War and Peace style outro here, here are my key takeaways from the podcast. Number one, design your environment around the product to help guide the development of that product, i.e. strong feedback loops, sense and adapt, and really try to know if your product is solving the important problems. Almost get obsessive about it. My second key takeaway is, Be mindful of technological event horizons. Are you heading for that sinkhole, that point of no return? What can you do to turn the ship around? My third key takeaway is create mega, fat, super duper feedback loops to create a healthy system for development and product creation. Feedback loops are the sign of all healthy systems. Focus on them. They will help you. They will guide you. Fourthly and finally, there is nothing like helping improving the lives of people. I really envy people that work in industries where their work directly affects the well-being of people. Gives me the urge to want to do something similar. So Denali, it was great to have this time with you. I look forward to speaking again and seeing how you, your leadership, how the teams at Project Ronin are improving the lives of people. And for that reason... I send a big high five to everyone at Project Ronin. And before I go, remember to subscribe to CTO Confessions podcast and IT Labs newsletter. URLs for this can be found on this page. We're consistently creating material to create, support, and nurture a community of tech leaders. And of course, if you want to know more about our services at IT Labs, including our Teams as a Service service, please don't hesitate to get in touch, as mentioned in the intro. Please think of us like tech leaders, favourite off-the-shelf service, providing quality, high-performing teams off that shelf with a wide breadth of skill and knowledge. That's all, folks. Look after each other and keep safe. Wishing you all a great day or evening wherever you are in the world. From all of us at IT Labs, live long and prosper. Until we meet again on the next podcast.